Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey guys, Pastor Josh here. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast, whether you do that through our app and listen every week or you're just listening for the first time. Hey, if the podcast is a blessing to you, if you would, you know, mention us on social media at OverflowDFW or hashtag OverflowDFW. We'd love to hear how we're being an encouragement to you. You can also email us at OverflowDFW at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and here's today's message. David and Goliath is not some little nice, pretty, you know, coloring book story. It's actually brutal. If you read the story, you will, you will recognize how brutal it is when David's cutting the head off of a giant with the giant sword. That's intense. You know, this is like R-rated stuff that we're reading in scripture. I know that you might not like that too much, but it's just what it is. Um, Part of the reason why we connect with this story so much is because we love the underdog, right? And uh, we we love the the idea of, of someone who who shouldn't be set up for greatness is set up for greatness because we all feel like that. Most of the time, we feel insignificant. We feel small to the obstacles in our life. So we connect with this story because we're all facing giants, whether they be emotional giants, whether they be mental giants, whether they be relational giants or financial giants or internal giants. We are all strong struggling with these giants in our lives. So we all connect with this story. Now with David, Goliath is the first of many, not really the first, but he's one of many giants that David faces. And we, we would like to say that the biggest struggle that David ever had was with Goliath. Let me subject this to you. Goliath was one of the smallest giants David ever had to face. And, uh, and we'll be talking about many of those things through this story, but he was really a fore, foreshadow of that. Can I tell you this, that when David faced, uh, faced the giants for God, he won. When he faced the giants for God, he won. But whenever he did it for himself, he lost. And this is one of the beautiful things that we see in the story of David. So last week we talked about David being anointed as king. And you would like to think as soon as he is anointed that he would automatically be promoted. But how many know it doesn't always work? On, sometimes you get the promise before the promotion. And then there's a waiting season. And, and even this five years from when he got anointed to the time he faces Goliath, this isn't even the promotion yet. It's just an obstacle trying to stop him from the promotion. Are you with me? And so here's David, it's five years later, he's been anointed, and David is still working as a shepherd. And he's kind of moonlighting in the king's court. Uh, he lived about 10 miles from where the Israelites were camped out, and David would come in, Saul, you remember Saul from last week, Saul, scripture tells us that an evil spirit would come upon him, he would get depressed, he would get angry, he'd be full of rage, and so what, what he heard is he heard there was a rumor about this shepherd that played the harp, and whenever he played, that, that bad things left and good things came. And so when David sang, the Holy Spirit came and invaded the environment that he is in. Oh, come on. And so what would happen is the demonic spirits. Now, Scripture says that the the evil spirit from the Lord. But most of us agree that when it says from the Lord is we mean that the Lord allowed this to come upon Saul because of his rebellion. So because Saul was in rebellion, he had all these head games, an evil spirit would come upon. And he heard about David. 
And some of his people said, hey, there's this guy named David who plays the harp. And when he plays, it's like, oh, man, it's like it's like Shekinah glory. It's like, here it comes. And so they bring David in, and David plays in the courts. Now, Saul at this point doesn't know anything really about David. He just knows, he just sees a guy playing a harp. He doesn't know his name, but he would call for David when he'd get in distress. And David would come and play his, in those days, it was probably more like a guitar, really, than a harp. And David would play his songs, and he'd sing to the Lord. I mean, he would play and sing this evil spirit that come upon Saul would leave in the presence of the Lord to fill the room. And so he was developing all these things. And so he would do that, and then he'd go back to shepherding. I mean, no, he didn't forget where he came from. So he would go and he'd work and he kind of, he kind of moonlighting as this, uh, musical artist, if you will, as this worship leader in the, the presence of the king. Now, during this time, Israel had an incredible enemy called the Philistines, right? We're familiar with the Philistines. So what would happen is the Philistines were always angry at the Israelites. They always wanted what the Israelites had because the Israelites had God. And so they would always be at opposition and they would come and they would fight the Israelites. And so the Philistines confront Israel and it, there's a valley called Elah, and in this valley, there's a ridge over here, and there's a ridge over here. And what happens is, is the Philistines, they come up, and they, they settle on this ridge, and they start harassing the Israelites, the people of God, the children of God. They start harassing them, and they send forth this guy, this big, like, almost 10-foot man, which is hard to imagine, this almost 10-foot man named Goliath. Now, Goliath has a reputation. His reputation is that he's a champion. He had won many battles. And one of the, the acts of warfare that they would do in those days, rather than sending the whole army out to fight, they would send their best. Okay? So they would send their best, and the best would fight each other, and whoever won would take everything of their best. That way they didn't lose soldiers, and there wasn't a, blood, a lot of bloodshed. It was just a way that they would deal with things. So... The Philistines send out this man, Goliath. Now, again, between nine and ten foot tall, three cubits is what scripture says, which is about nine foot nine. And he comes out. And he's not just a big dude. He's a champion. He's a skilled warrior. Now, understand this about the Philistines is they were, they had one of the most technological advanced militaries in the world. They were the first ones that used iron as as, a, as an army. And so they were way more advanced than Israel. And so Goliath shows up and he's got like this crazy equipment going on. First of all, he has a guy carrying his shield that stands in front of him. And then he has a spear that at, at the tip of it has a tip on the spear and this, the tip of the spear alone weighs 15 pounds. Then he has like this vest, like this chainmail vest, which weighs like 125 pounds. And then he's got a huge sword. So he's like full of this weaponry. He's like a human tank. I mean, he is, he is the, the super soldier of the day. I mean, his, his equipment weighs more than most men. And he comes out and he starts harassing the children of Israel day after day for 40 days. Come at me, dogs. Bring your best. And it says this in Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 10. He says this. He says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Again, he's doing this for 40 days. And when Saul, the king, and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. So for 40 days, they're living in fear. They know they're defeated. They know they're going down. But meanwhile, there's this shepherd 
hanging out in his fields, worshiping the Lord, tending his sheep, doing his thing. And he gets word from his dad, Jesse. Now, Jesse had heard about some of the stuff that was going on in the military. Again, they live about 10 miles away. And he goes to David and he says, David, I want you to, to, to go check on your brothers and take them some bread and cheese. Take, take them some Panera bread, right? You take them some food. You know, it'll take you about two or three hours to get over there. Go check on your brothers and make sure everything's okay. David's running. Little Davy going to run a little errand boy. Now, remember, David had already been anointed king. Now, can you imagine, like, you want me to take, I mean, don't you know who I am? I mean, most of us, that would be kind of, I'm not going to, I'm not your little errand boy. Did, did you forget what Samuel did? So David goes to the, the camp of the Israelites where Saul is, where the army is. And when he gets there, there's Goliath. I don't know, it's probably like day 40. And he's up there preaching, right? Come on, you losers, right? He's like a mean demonic preacher. And so David kind of runs up to the battle lines where his brothers are. And he sees his brothers. Now, his brothers were old enough to be in the army, but David wasn't. That's the reason why David wasn't a soldier probably at this time. One, because he is really good at shepherding. And he was shepherding because he was young. So we're, David's probably between the ages 16 and 20. That's a pretty big gap. But as far as we know, that's about how old David is. Not old enough to be in the army. So he goes up to his brothers and he's like, what's going on here? Like, why isn't somebody fighting this guy? And they're like, you arrogant punk. That's basically what his brothers say. What do you think that you're doing here? who's watching your sheep, your few little petty sheep? You know, understand that his brothers are probably dealing with a lot of insecurity towards David because they saw David get anointed over them. Remember? And so they've got this attitude towards David, like, what are you doing here, you little punk? You know, just take your little cheese and go off and, and, and feed some of your sheep. And he's like, why is it somebody stepping up to fight this guy? Now understand, he's just a boy. He doesn't, he's not a soldier. He's not trained in military or anything like that. He's just, he's just showing up running an errand and he sees that his people, come on, who he's going to lead one day are filled with fear. Now Saul, the king, hears that David's there and he's asking about fighting this guy. So David asks, he's like, well, what does the guy get that beats this man Goliath. I mean, I know we win the battle, but what else do they get? They say, well, you get one of the king's wives and your family doesn't have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives. Oh, score. Well, count me in. So Saul calls for David. He says, bring David in, bring him in. I want to talk to this guy. Let's, let's see. So David shows up, you know, he's like, look, here's, here's, here's David showing up to Saul. Now, if you guys remember the description of Saul, Saul's very tall. David's still young, not fully grown yet. David shows up and Saul's probably like, where's this David guy that's wanting to fight Goliath? And he's like, Hey, I'm right here. And this is what David says in first Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. You have it in your notes. Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. He's been fighting his whole life. You've been watching sheep. Are you stupid? Don't be foolish. And this is what David says. David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. (laughs) Great. 
When a lion or a bear comes up to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after him with a club and rescue the lamb from his mouth. If an animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Pretty brutal. I have done this both lions and bears, and I'm going to do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and from the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. All right, you beat the wild animals. Good luck. God bless you. So at this point of the story, David finally convinces Saul for the order to go and fight Goliath. It's ridiculous. How many of you know that before you go to battle, there's a battle? There's the battle before the battle. Many of us think, well, when the battle comes, I'll be ready. No, no, no. You've got a battle before the battle. You know, we, we watch a lot of uh, UFC fighting, MMA. I know it's brutal. I, I, I know that probably lowers your view of me. But we watch this fighting, and, and these guys will go in, and they'll fight for 15 minutes. And we think, oh, man, he's so great. But what you don't see is this, oh, this 600 hours that they devoted for a 15-minute fight. How ready are you for the next battle you face? Because a lot of times we'd say, well, the battle's so strong, I just can't handle it. How much prep work have you done? How much time have you been digging into the Word of God? How much time have you been digging? In, how, many, how much time have you spent out in the, in the fields? Fighting for sheep, worshiping your God, loving on Jesus in obscurity. So when the battle comes, are you going to be ready? Probably not, because it's going to catch you by surprise. Because you never know when it's go time, right? David didn't know that day was coming, but he was already prepared for it. Because he had fought the battle before the battle. Let me tell you this today. A battle is coming. It's not a battle may come. A battle might come. A battle might come on my marriage. A battle might come with raising my kids. An emotional battle might come. I might have a financial difficulty. No, no, no. There's no mights. The battle is coming. You have an enemy, the devil. He hates you. He's harassing you because you have purpose on your life. Because you're a child of God. And he's ticked that he's not. And so he hates you. He's going to come against you. Because if the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. So the battle's coming. But what you do before the battle is just as important. I might say this is more important than how you fight the battle. I want to share this morning for just a few minutes on developing courage before the battle. Because like the children of Israel, we are typically afraid of the battle that's coming. And it takes courage. It takes courage. You know, we're, this series is called A Heart That Longs. And if we're going to have a heart that longs, we have to have a heart of courage. What is courage? Courage is, is, is faith, is what courage is. Courage is saying, I trust God enough to move forward. Hebrews eleven six says this, that it is impossible to please God without faith. Let that sink in. It's impossible to please God without faith. Because anyone who comes to him, which takes courage sometimes, because it doesn't it? Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him, sincerely seek him. 
God is a rewarder. He wants to be sought after. He wants you to go after his heart. But you have got to have faith. And you've got to have courage when the battle comes. You can't quit quit wishing away your battles. So how do we develop courage before the battle? Well, number one, you do what David did. You build private history. You build private history. See, today the battle you win might be reading your Bible. Right? In six years, it might be overcoming a struggle in your marriage. But you've got to learn to win the little battles before you'll ever win the big battles. You've got to be battle-tested. Now, David had this history. You know, it wasn't like, you know, we kind of treat David like he is this little kid that never did anything. If you study that out, what he's telling Saul that day, by the way, I don't think he was just telling Saul, hey, these are my credentials, I've done this. I think he was going, I need to, I mean, this is scary, so I'm going to generate some faith. So he starts talking about what he's done. You know what? When a lion showed up to take out my lambs, and they were my, they were my dad's, but, but they were under my care. Whenever he came and he got it in the mouth, I chased the lion down. I mean, how fast do you have to be? He says, I chased the lion's lion down. One translation says he grabs the lion by the beard and he clubs it. Bam. We're talking about a wild animal and a 15 year old kid. That takes courage. Why? Because that lion had something precious in his mouth. It's like, you know, you see these, the animal kingdom, the mama goes kind of crazy whenever their babies are threatened. But, but the heart of a shepherd says, uh-uh. And he grabs it by the beard and he clubs it. And he did this, I believe, time after time after time again as a shepherd that he was protecting what belonged to someone else. I believe that when David is retelling this story, he was not just convincing Saul, he was developing courage. I've done it. I'm ready for this. I fought the lion. I fought the bear. And I'm going to take down this joker the same way. His day is done. This is the last day that he comes in here and messes with God's people. This is the last time. I'll put an end to this. I mean, David was leading with the heart of a shepherd far with the children of Israel. He, he, he was talking about sheep before. Now he's talking about God's sheep. And he's like, I'm sick of this. This ends today. And l- let me tell you that the battle is bigger than you. We're going to get into that in just a second. It's bigger than your little struggle. So the first thing you got to do is develop a private or build a private history. Number two, don't believe the hype. Every day for 40 days, this giant shows up. Trying to psych the people out, freak them out. Oh, it's fear, intimidation. It's the way the enemy always works. You can't handle this. When David shows up, he says, you're just a boy. You're sending a boy out here? Israel was paralyzed with fear. David's brothers, paralyzed with fear. Saul, paralyzed with fear. They were repeating what Goliath was saying. He's going to destroy us. What are we going to do? David's like, what are you talking about? Do you not know how big the God you serve is? Beloved, don't let the enemy's words in your mouth. Do not repeat what the enemy is saying. 
I can't handle this. I've, man, I've counseled people over the years, and they say, if this happens, if. They're one of the most powerful words in the world, if. If this happens, I don't know what I'll do. What, what if God is as big as he is? And what if you develop your private history, and you can handle if. There's a big if. And for the child of God, it's a big if if you have faith, if you believe in your God. Don't believe the hype. David didn't believe the hype. He didn't believe it from his brothers. He didn't believe it from Saul. Listen, anytime we see the, the enemy seems intimidating, we're believing the hype. <sighs> you, know, it's, uh, you know, I love this song that we've been singing. You have no rival. You have no equal. Listen, God has no rival. You've seen that picture before where Jesus is wrestling Satan. You know, they're, they're arm wrestling. Have you guys seen that? It's like the stupidest thing ever. There's no arm wrestling match. The devil is no, he's already defeated. There's no like touching Jesus. So if the enemy seems intimidating, then you're believing the hype. You're not believing God. And again, I've heard several people, I I just don't know what what I'm going to do if this happens. You know what will happen? You'll carry on. You know what will happen? At the end of the day, God will love you, and you will love God. And it might not be pretty at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, you still win because you belong to him. This is the most important thing. Don't get so caught up in your battle. And that's the next point is maintain perspective. This battle is bigger than you. And this is how David saw the battle. He knew that this battle was the Lord's. He knew it wasn't his This is the theme throughout the whole scripture, throughout the story, throughout David's life. The battle is the Lord's. Throughout your life, the battle is the Lord's. See, the problem is, is we take too much ownership of the battle when it comes. We take ownership of defeat and we take ownership of victory. But I'm telling you, if we can be humble before the Lord and realize that this is the Lord's battle, then we will win every time. No matter how you feel, no matter how much quote-unquote loss you suffer at the end of the day beloved you win because you're his so maintain that perspective the battle is the lord's listen when we make his battles our battles he makes our battles his if you will fight for god if you will fight for god god will always fight for you if you will make your battles his battles but you know it wasn't just It was just about the Lord, but it was also about the children of Israel. And I believe that this is what troubled David so much. He says this in 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. He's talking about Goliath. He says, let no man's heart fail. Let no one be discouraged today. Let no one be depressed today. What was David doing? He was seeing that this battle was important because courage begats courage. David said, if I can be courageous, if I can fight this battle, if I can win this battle, then the nation of Israel will have courage. It won't just be about me. It won't just be about me and Jesus. It'll be about my tribe. Beloved, let me tell you this. Dads, you need to win. Your kids need you to win. Your wife needs you to win. Wives, your husband needs you to win. Your church needs you to win. Your community needs you to win. Don't run from the battle. 
Don't stay in a tent. They need to see some wins in your life because they need courage to fight their battles. And you will have the courage inside of you that will be displayed. And courage begets courage. We need you to win. We need you to win. We don't need you to be battleless. We need you to be winsome. I can tell you, I've been in the ministry a long time. And you know when I'm most effective? When it's the hardest. Because that's when it's time to show up. And people see that. And it inspires them. And they go, you know what? If he can do that, I can do it too. Listen, that's not just for me, a preacher. That's for you. In your home, in your family, when you're struggling through things and you win. Come on, in your friends, in your tribe, in your crew. When people see the victory in your life, they'll be inspired and they'll know they can win too. Because they can serve the God that you serve. So maintain perspective, beloved. Maintain perspective. It's bigger than you. It's the Lord's, but it's also bigger than you. You will inspire courage. We need you to win. Number four is remember who you are. Remember who you are. So David shows up, finally convinces Saul. So Saul starts doing something really weird. So David's there. He's wearing like a robe. He's got like his little little pouch. I mean, he's all he he doesn't have any like artillery as far as like a battle would be concerned. Now, a lot of people believe that even Israel's uh, swords that day were probably made out of wood. Even you know that would fail in comparison to what the Philistines had. So, but David shows up and he's just dressed like a shepherd. So Saul's like, well, let me get you dressed appropriately. And so he starts putting his armor on David. Now, Saul was a big man. And so David puts on his armor, and his armor doesn't fit. And he's like, I can't move in this. And, and he's like, well, look at you. You can't go out there like this. You're just a shepherd. But, but I, I can't. There's no way I can fight this guy. I can't be as agile as I usually am. I can't move around with this stuff. I can't get it off me. Listen. Stop trying to function in somebody else's skill set. Be who you are. What battle are you good at? This is a struggle that I have. Comparison. Man, if I could only do that. I could, man, I could really be successful if I could have what they had. If I could wear what they wore. Right? If I could not eat what they don't eat. <laughs> if I could work out like they work out. If I could preach like they could. Come on. I can lead worship like they lead. Bring the best you. David couldn't be a good soldier, but he could be the best shepherd. Listen, trying to function in somebody else's skill set will always put us at a disadvantage. And if David would have showed up that day in Saul's armor, he would have lost. David is most skilled as a shepherd. And more than a shepherd, he was a lover of God. This is who he was. This is who you are. You're a lover of God. You're one whose heart pursues the Lord. You be that. Quit letting the world determine your success. Battle time. First Samuel 17 verse 40. So David goes out, takes off this clothing, that, this armor that Saul tried to put him on. And he just goes like he showed up. Being who he is. And it says this, that he picked up five smooth stones. How many know that five is the number of grace? 
So he picks up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his little shepherd bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff. Oh. All right, let's go fight the giant. His staff and his sling. All right, let's go. What is he, stupid? No, he's being who he is. This is who he is. He's a shepherd. He's got a staff and he's got a sling. He's pretty good at that too. He's good at leading and he's good at fighting. That's what he shows up with. Then armed with only a staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt of this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. And you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David, listen, they're not just like, yes, I'll give. He's yelling. He's roaring. Come on. I'm going to give your body to the dogs. The vultures are going to eat you. This is the end. David said to the Philistine, replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. I'm fighting for God. Today the Lord, today the Lord will conquer you. Not I will conquer you. Today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world, perspective, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. The Lord, this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And Goliath moved closer to attack. And David ran quickly out to meet him. Reaching in his shepherd bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it in his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. And David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. What a story. So brutal. Wish someone would make a really good movie out of it. A good, I know there's lots of movies. A good one. (laughs) Defeating Goliath. How do we defeat Goliath? How do we defeat the giant? Because we've, we've mustered up the courage it's battle time. You've, you're ready. You've, you've done your homework. How do you fight? Like now, now it's go time. How do you, now we talked about what do you do before the battle? Now what do you do during the battle? Number one, you run to the battle. You run to the battle. So you quit hiding out, going, oh, Lord, I pray that there'll be no battles today. Sorry, that's not a prayer he says yes to. It's time to implement that courage. Listen, courage doesn't eliminate fear. It faces it. Someone said one time that that courage is fear that has said its prayers. How many know that David's greatest weapon was not his sling? It was his courage. 
Can I tell you this? The giant isn't going to leave because you ignore it. Oh, just ignore it. Just pretend it isn't there. Just stick your head in the sand. It's not going to leave. It's going to keep showing up. It's going to keep harassing you. It's going to keep telling you that you're not worthy. It's going to keep ridiculing your people. It's going to keep ridiculing your tribe. It's going to keep showing up until you run to the battle. Until you take the responsibility and say, you know what? All these guys are more qualified, but I'll take it. I'll do it. I'll fight when nobody else wants to show up. Listen, we need to stop wishing away the struggle and start winning some battles. It's time you stop wishing away the struggles and start winning some battles. What if I told you that your greatest obstacle, the greatest obstacle you face, may be your greatest opportunity to reveal God's glory? So stop looking at this as, as, this is an obstacle. It's an opportunity. Every giant is not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. An opportunity for God to reveal himself to you. God, an opportunity to reveal himself to your community, to your friends, to your family, to your spouse, to your kids. Win some battles. It's time. It's battle day. Run to it. Stop running from it. Face your giants. Number two, keep your distance. See, David had, everybody say, keep your distance. David had some disadvantages. He was young. He was inexperienced. He was small. He didn't have a sword. He didn't know how to use a sword. If he had a sword, it probably would have been wooden. But one of the things that David had is he had some advantages. He had a sling. To use a sling, you have to stay at a distance. I mean, you don't, you don't fight with a sling like this. Get away from me, devil. <laughs> right? You got to keep a distance. You got to keep a distance with that sling. Ephesians 4.27 says this, do not give the devil a foothold. Listen, some of you, I'm not telling you you don't need to go to the battle because you do need to go to the battle, but you need to keep your distance. I've ran into people all the time. They're like, well, it seems like every time I get around this person, I end up. It's like, well, what does that tell you? Keep your distance. Keep your distance. Keep your distance. Because the only way this weapon works is at a distance. See, David's advantage is that he kept a distance. That was David's advantage. He was good at using that sling. Uh, Archaeologists tells us that when these guys would start using this sling... That that stone that would come out of there, those smooth stones that would come out of there, they would fly at about 90 miles per hour. Many times they were made out of like flint or some kind of real hardened stone. It'd be like what baseball pitchers throw at batters. Not at batters, but to batters. 90 miles an hour, like a 90 mile an hour fastball. A little stone with that velocity. One guy said, he said that David surprised Goliath. Nothing had entered his head before. How powerful David was going to be. It's cheesy. It's a preacher joke. Entered his head before. Weren't. This wasn't some little daisy rifle, right? You guys know what a daisy rifle is? When I was a kid, they used to have these little, you buy them at like Walmart, they're like 20 bucks, and they have a little, they make a noise. Like if you've ever shot a daisy, they sound like that. It's got a little spring in there, shoots a BB. You know, it might go into a wall. You know, he didn't have a little daisy rifle. You know, David, you know, they talk about don't bring a, 
a knife to a gunfight. David brought a gun to a knife fight. That's what he did. And he used his advantage by keeping his distance. Listen, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't get too close to the enemy. Are you with me? Now, I'm not talking about people because immediately you think people are the enemy. People are not the enemy. I'm not saying that there's not relationships that you might or might not need to distance yourself from. But don't you get too involved with the enemy. Don't you get into hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. Come on. Because he does have a sword. He has power. He's not intimidating. You just keep your distance. Don't, don't keep him in your house. Come on. If you've got a drinking problem, you might not want to go to the bar to, with your friends and not drink. Because we all know how that turns out. Well, every time I, well, distance. Number three, use what you got. Now, we just talked about using the sling at a distance. But David had something more than a sling. David had this. It says this in verse 45. You come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. The God of heaven's armies. Listen, you have a better weapon. The Lord is your weapon. Scripture tells us that the Lord, that he is a God of war. He's not just some little, you know, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed American Jesus. He's got fire in his eyes. He's passionate. He's got a sword in his hand. He is victorious. He always wins. He has no rival. He has no equal. Use what you got. He is inside of you. He is fighting for you. He is fighting with you. He won your heart. Now he's going to win your battles. The thing is, is when we do it for God, we always win. It doesn't mean we always feel good after it's over. But we win because we're his. At the end of the day, I still belong. Even if they take from me my life, I still belong to Jesus. I win. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by his spirit. Where is his spirit? His spirit is inside of you, beloved. Your greatest weapon is the Lord. He is the God of victory. The God of heaven's armies. His hand is not short. His power is not weak. His love is sufficient. And he wants you to win. He wants you to win. So let him fight. Keep your distance. You can't observe the hand of God if you're right up in the battle. David won because God won. And number four is cut off the head. When I, was, when I read this, I always think of that Mortal Kombat game. Finish him! Right? Finish him! You guys ever seen that? I don't know. Usually that was happening to me. <laughs> Not through me. <laughs> How do you cut off the head of your giant? Now, some people say that Goliath wasn't dead, so David, had, I think he probably was dead or he was dying. And David took off Goliath's sword. His, I understand he's just a boy. He's got to pick up this sword and chop off. I don't even know how he picked it up. It's huge. It was heavy. And he cuts the sword off. Listen, the way that we cut off the head of our giants is we own up to our giants. 
What is the giant that you face? Maybe it's that addiction. Oh, I'm not addicted. Okay, then stop. I, I enjoy it. I think it's enjoying you. But you're not enjoying the dependency. What about pride? What about insecurity? What about entitlement? What about unforgiveness? What about resentment? What about shame? These are the giants that we live with. What if I told you today that you could live in absolute victory? I don't think you believe that. What if I told you today that you could live in absolute victory, that you could cut the head off of your lion? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? You don't have any hold on me. What if I told you you could live in absolute victory? How do you cut the head off your giant? Well, some of you, it's a phone call and asking somebody to forgive you of the sin that you've committed to them. Or it might be you calling somebody and offering forgiveness when they've done you wrong. It could be a conversation. That's how you cut the head off a giant. It could be getting into some accountability. Let me tell you one of the easiest ways to cut the head off your giant. Tell somebody. Because those secrets keep us sick. Those secrets, that thing that you carry around all by yourself that you can't deal with, that mental struggle, that emotional struggle that you carry around every day that you can't seem to get over it, and nobody knows but you, the reason why you have that is because you haven't told somebody. Accountability, relationship, connection. It's how we cut the head off that giant. But can I tell you today that the greatest giant we will ever face is this giant, the giant of self. Kimbo Sly said it this way, the enemy is the inner me. Great theologian, Kimbo Slice. God rest, Kimbo Slice. I was watching that one time. He said that. I was like, dang, that's good. I'll preach. That'll preach. The enemy is the inner me. Sometimes you're the greatest enemy. Sometimes you just need to let go and let God. Sometimes you just need to cut the head off this giant, the giant of self, the giant of pride. But ultimately, ultimately, it's really about one thing. This is how you cut the head off your giant, trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. If it's shame, you trust his perfect love. You trust his perfect forgiveness. You trust his perfect mercy. See, Jesus also slung a stone. Jesus slung a stone. He was in a grave for three days. And he slung a stone. And in that day, he defeated all death. 
He defeated the power of death, the sting of death, the authority of death over you. And he cut the head off the giant of sin and shame. Check this out. I'm going to close with the scripture. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Come on. Then God made you alive in Christ. God made you alive in Christ. For he forgave all our sins. Everybody say all. Listen, even the ones that somebody told you were unforgivable, he forgave you of all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it on a cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them just like David did publicly. Publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, there is ultimate victory for your life in Jesus. There is ultimate victory in what Jesus did. 